0: Well, we've been on a series uh, of sermons uh, since the beginning of this year on the living hope. That we are the church that is called to a living hope. And what we've discovered as we've gone through this is that Jesus Christ appeared some 2,000 years ago on the scene. And the word appeared is the word epiphany. And And the root word of that is epi, which means to bring a superimposition upon time and space. And I want you to understand that Christ came from heaven and brought an epi. He brought an epi to this world. He superimposed God's presence, God, the power of God, the presence of God, the life of God into this world some 2,000 years ago. And how many of you know the world has never been the same? In a good way. That Christ came and brought incredible transformation to this world. Uh, the largest group of people in this entire planet, even today, are followers of Jesus Christ in terms of every other religion in the world, which is incredible when you think about the transformation from one man's life that occurred. This epi that came is really shaped so many things. It has shaped the political world. It has shaped education. It has shaped our moral compass. There is nobody in the planet that is more shaped the issues of morality than Jesus Christ uh, our systems of law and government have come because of what Jesus did incredible 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 when you begin to study the effect of Jesus's life and the, his life as lived out through believers throughout history and that's really the first epi that occurred and in the midst of that epi what we found out is that there's another epi coming there's another epi coming there's another moment where God is about to superimpose himself upon humanity. He's about to show up and the Bible says that the second epi is very different than the first one. The first one, Jesus came as the suffering servant and we, that is what we're celebrating at Easter. Jesus Christ came and he came as the suffering servant. He came to this world to live and to show what life with God could be like and to bring transformation to this world through people's lives. But the second time he's coming, he's not coming as the suffering servant. The Bible says he's coming as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is coming to establish his kingdom once and for all in this world. That is what he's coming. And the Bible calls this the glorious hope, the glorious hope of the church. You can read about that in Titus. And I want you to know, you know, for generations and generations and generations, the church has been longing and waiting for this second epi. We're supposed to be living our lives in the light of that second coming, that second coming of Jesus. But, you know, truth is we've grown a little bit comfortable with this world. And because we've grown a little bit comfortable with this world, even for many believers, this is kind of a crazy statement I'm about to make, even for many believers, if they could, you know, I was talking about this a few weeks ago, they were saying, if you could take a pill that made you live forever in this world now, would you take the pill? And something like 40% of believers said they would. I thought, man, you do not have an understanding of what's coming, and who would want to live here forever and ever, when we can live with him forever and forever. And so we're, we're to shape our lives and to live our lives based on this glorious appearing. It, te- it tells us in, in Titus, it says, it teaches us to reject ungodliness and world immoral desires, to live sensibly upright and godly lives, living with a purpose that reflects spiritual maturity in this present age. And we've been talking, we've been jumping back and forth and walking and weaving kind of a tapestry of talking about the return of Jesus. And much of what we've done, if you've noticed, we've bounced into the book of Revelation because Jesus speaks to the churches, seven of them in the book of Revelation. And he's saying, I'm coming again, so I want you to be ready for that coming. And he speaks to these churches. We've gone through most of the churches Uh, in our sermons, but I wanted to do one last church today, and that's the Church of Sardis, because I believe they have much to speak to us about, and the message of Sardis, I think, connects to your life and to my life in a very unique way, and that's what we're going to look at today. The title of today's message is Watchmen Awake. Awaken. Wake up. There's something that God has for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you came. Thank you, Jesus, for Easter week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We can't say thank you enough. And so now, Holy Spirit, come. Truly, Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive and respond to you. Wake us up, Lord to know our high calling in this world and the importance of every person in this room. I pray that they are strengthened and encouraged to that end today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm in Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to read starting at verse 1. And I believe this is from the Passion Translation. It'll come up on your screen, I believe. To the angel of the church of Sardis write... And you will not know what time I will come to you. Goes on and says, if you pull the covers back over your head and sleep on oblivious to God, I'll return when you least expect it and break into your life like a thief in the night. There's a little bit more, but we won't read that yet. Now, this is a pretty heavy duty, but remember, Jesus is speaking to the churches, guys. He's saying, guys, okay, I'm leaving you on planet Earth. I'm leaving you on planet Earth, and I need you to be ready for my return. What we didn't know was that there was going to be 2,000 years before he came back. But he was saying to the church, guys, I need you to be awake. I need you to be alert because I, you need to understand what you're entering into, the time and, and who you represent and what's going to be happening and the, and the things that are going to be coming against you in this world. Therefore, you need to be awake and alert to what I'm calling you to do. I want you to tell, tell you the story of Sardis because the story of Sardis is actually so amazing it's kind of it's kind of like wow i never knew that and when i was studying this i was the same way i was like wow i never knew that and so to me it was like that really speaks to me about today and so we're going to look at that. But let's go back and understand Sardis back then. Sardis, ancient Sardis was the capital of Lydia. It was about 50 kilometers east of Ephesus. And it was really a center for trade. They were a very prosperous city, a very blessed city. They faced little opposition in the midst of that prosperity. As a matter of fact, it's one of the few uh, churches that is, there's no mention of persecution against it. If you read it in the book of Revelation, there's no mention of persecution, whereas other churches all get talked about the persecution they're going to face. They didn't have any. And really, there was this, this understanding that even Christians had the benefits of true toleration. How many know what true toleration is? True toleration is you believe what you believe, and I believe what I believe. Even if you believe what's opposing to what I believe, it's okay. I don't have to kill you because you believe different than me. Let's just live together. And so there's this true toleration that was happening. As a matter of fact, the largest synagogue in all of, when you study history, the largest synagogue of that time was actually in Sardis. They've uncovered the ruins of that synagogue. It was a football field in length. How many know that's a huge synagogue? That's a pretty big synagogue. And, uh, and so this, this synagogue existed at these times in, in antiquity or in that time period. It was the largest synagogue in all of Asia and all of Europe, that area. Which is pretty significant. And, it, and what it's basically is what it's saying is the, the Jewish people enjoyed a time of peace even in the midst of living in a, in a foreign land. And so the Christians kind of were riding on that same idea of peace. Are you following me? There was no persecution against them in the midst of all of this community and this prosperity. Now, the Acropolis, or the, the, uh, the Citadel of Sardis, was kind of a unique place. It was basically the, the, the place of worship, the temple for that region. It sat on top of a hill 1,500 feet above the rest of the city. Five roads came into that city. Oh, that's why it was a center for trade. It was an incredibly centralized city. And these five roads came in, and when you came in, you saw the citadel Of Sardis up on this hill and it was considered to be impregnable it was considered to be no one can take this because there's only one road up to it and all we have to do is watch that you're coming and nobody can take this place but do you know that twice in the history of Sardis the Citadel was captured do you know why it was captured the watchman fell asleep Incredible. That's historical. That's what happened in ancient Sardis. So these were a prosperous people. These were an unpersecuted people. And these were a people that were comfortable and accepted by the world around them. And Jesus' word to the church in Sardis is wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Lest I come to you like a thief in the night. Do you understand now the context of Jesus saying this? He's actually taking historical context and he's speaking to what happened in Sardis. They thought it, they were impregnable. They thought we were untouchable. But yet God was saying to them, wake up, you guys. Because your secure position can be captured. And I know it doesn't take much for you and for me to see ourselves in their story, does it? We can. I can. You know, I wonder if we've become a little bit too comfortable with the world because we've had to pay so little price for our faith. Really, you, you have not had to pay a high price for your faith. How many of you know that? How many of you know that right now, Christians around the world are paying a high price for their faith? Right now, hundreds of thousands of Christians have been martyred in this last year. Hundreds of thousands, you guys. In China, right now, the persecution is off the roots, just off the charts. They're tearing down churches. We don't hear about that in the news. How many of you know that right now uh, in Nigeria, in the last month, well over 400 Christians have been killed? Have you heard about that in the news? No, you haven't. It, It may be on your social media feeds of those that are kind of highlighting and making you aware, but it's not in mainstream news. Do you understand? This is our world today. This is what's happening. A great price is being paid by believers. But here we are in North America, and I'm not not putting us down. I'm not trying to make us feel bad. I'm just saying we are pretty safe. We are pretty secure. Amen? Thank God. Thank God for the Christian heritage that exists and the laws that exist because of that Christian heritage that protects this nation. That's an amazing thing to think about it. And I think if we're truthful, we're a little bit like Sardis. We think we're really alive and everything's going great, but maybe we need to understand that actually we're a little bit asleep. And there's a big wake-up call that needs to come to the church. How many of you know that in the Bible, sleep and rest is a good thing? It's actually a blessed thing. But how many of you know in the Bible, there's also times when sleep and rest is not a good thing? And there are some interesting things that happen in the midst of sleep. And one of the most interesting things that happened in the midst of sleep was this week. Do you know you understand that right now, today, Palm Sunday, they were shouting Hosanna. The whole town came out. Everybody, the whole city's out worshiping, waving palm branches. Hosanna, blessed be, you know, the name of the Lord and and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're they're, they're basically praising Jesus, the coming king, into 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 their city. And they're thinking he's coming to establish his kingdom. This is so awesome. And then a week later, at night... When the whole city was asleep, they came and they took Jesus captive in the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's what they did. They had a mockery of a trial early in the morning. He was condemned to death before anybody even woke up. And can you imagine awakening to, you were the, one of the people shouting Hosanna a week earlier, finding out by 3 p.m. Jesus has been crucified on the outskirts of your city while you slept. (laughs) We see that. You see, understand something, church. Now let's get a little less serious. There are many ways to wake up. Isn't that true? Here's the first form of waking up. Are you ready for this one? The alarm clock, wake up. No, very few of us like the alarm clock wake up. But I'm, I am thankful for an alarm clock. But have you ever had those mornings when it's like, there is no way I just slept for seven hours? Yeah, that's right. When you want to whip that alarm clock against the wall and you realize there's no, like, this is crazy. I, have, I barely fell asleep. You ever said that to yourself? I barely got my eyes closed. And the alarm clock went off. And it's kind of that moment of rude awakening, but you got to wake up and you got to get stirred and you got to get, get going for your day. And, uh, you know, I think if we're all honest, we are all, all a little bit alarmed at our, the rate at which our culture is changing right now. It's a little bit of a wake-up for us in my lifetime to say, I never saw this coming. I never understood how this was going to play out and as quickly as it did. You know, um, my wife has a a wonderful thing about an alarm clock. What's the best thing about an alarm clock? Anybody? The snooze button. The snooze button. Betty has a science of snooze button. And Betty's science of snooze button is three snooze buttons. What I mean by that is she hits it three times. It drives me crazy. So Betty wakes up. An hour before she has to be out of bed and hits the alarm that she set an hour before. And the snooze button. I'm wide awake the first time it goes off. That's it for me. And then it's the second snooze button she hits. And if she's really feeling cheeky, she'll hit it a third time. That's the science of snooze button with my wife, Betty. And I, for 25 years, had arguments with her. Why don't you just get up the first time the alarm button goes off and not set it for an hour before? You know, I had this, uh, these young girls in my, in my church, my first church at Evangel Assembly. They were twins, and believe it or not, this is no word of a lie, I thought they were crazy. They set their alarm for 3 o'clock every morning. They set their alarm for 3 o'clock so they could get up and brush their teeth and know that they still had three more hours to sleep. <laughs> crazy! <laughs> that is the craziest thing I've ever heard. Yet, as far as I know, to this day, they still do it. And their poor husband, I can't even imagine. Why is the alarm set for three o'clock in the morning? I gotta get and brush my teeth. And then I know I still got three more hours to sleep. Wow. See, here's the thing. Now, have you ever pressed the snooze button? Too many times. See, this is what the text was telling us. If you pull the covers back over your head and sleep on, oblivious to God. I'll return to you when you least expect it and break into your life like a thief in the night. Here's the second way that you can wake up, the alarmed moment of wake up. Have you ever had the alarmed moment of wake up when suddenly you realize, I have slept in? Has anybody ever done that one? Yeah, it's terrifying. And how quickly do you shoot up when you realize, I am now late for work, late for my appointment and you're too late to do anything about it. You know, I had one the other day, and it was the worst. Um, well, I had a couple. My brother, Doug, who's not here, so I can talk about him. Um, he used to work night shift when, way back when. This is before he was married. And, and uh, three, he used to get home at 3 in the morning, and he decided one night to wake me up saying I was late for school. And he ripped the covers off my bed. You're late for school again, which was a common thing in in my life, by the way. And so I was all startled, and I got up, and I was pulling my jeans, and I could barely function. And then he's like, ha, 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 ha. What he didn't know is that I had to get up that morning at 7 a.m., and guess what I did? It didn't go well for me. Yeah, anyway, he didn't like that wake-up call that morning was good payback, though. So, you know, the other day I had one that was, I'll give you an example of my my startling wake-up moment this week. So um, I woke up, and I kind of leaned over and looked at my, I noticed my my alarm, which is on my phone. I noticed my clock was flashing an appointment. And so I just glanced at it, and I looked at it, and I realized, oh, my gosh, I am late for this appointment. And I just shot out of bed, and I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Now, I'll tell you what it was. I had to preach at the Christian school and do chapel. And I was like, I, I haven't got my notes printed yet. I, haven't got, I was going to buy little Easter egg chocolates, and I hadn't done that yet. And I was like, what happened? Where did I lose this day? And so I'm freaking out. I'm thinking, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? And then I realized I had set a 24-hour alarm. And I was like, oh. I still got Today to pick up the chocolates and print my notes. Now, believe it or not, I could have probably winged it and it wouldn't have been very good. I'll tell you that right now. It would have been really bad and the kids would have been like, why is Pastor Greg so off today? I don't know. But uh, do you understand? You ever have those alarm moment wake-ups is what I'm trying to get to. Where you're like, I am late. I have missed it. It's too late now. I can't change this. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? How many of you know that is not a good way to wake up? So you got the alarm wake up, which is not the best way to wake up. And what really makes it dangerous is the snooze. I still have time. I still have time. I still have time. And then you have the alarm moment wake up when you don't got time. There ain't no time left. You know, it's like grab a handful of gel, schlock it into your hair, and go to work. But here's the third way to wake up, which is actually the best way to wake up. Here it is. How many get this one, the well-rested wake-up? I I tend to have that. That's my form of wake-up. I tend to wake up without an alarm clock. Is anybody else like me? Isn't that the best way to wake up? It is the best way to wake up because you're like, I have oodles of time. And I can get up and get a coffee. I can lay in bed. I can, this, this is so good. I can have devotions before I got to get up and do. And how many know that's the best way to wake up? Right? To have that that rested, well-alert wake up before your alarm clock goes off. But understand, church, we're in danger of being asleep for two reasons. The first one is this. We're stuck in the ways of the world and we can't see what's coming. We're sleeping. We're, We're so comfortable like like the people of Sardis, the church of Sardis. Can you imagine, like, no persecution, nobody attacks, you're on the citadel, nobody can reach you. You're like, what a job description. You are a watchman on the wall. That's what a watchman does. A watchman is watching for the enemy. He's watching for the signs. He's watching for problems. What a terrible job. For 30 years you've been doing this job, and every day it's the same thing. You're walking on the wall. You're 1,500 feet above where anybody can come from, and you're like, ah, this is the worst job ever. Ten more years to retirement. And you get sleepy. And so I think that's what happens. We get hooked on and sometimes intoxicated with the things of this world. In Isaiah 56, it talks about Watchmen that did that. I'm not going to show you on that on the screen, but I'll just read a portion of it to you. It says, Israel's watchmen are blind. They lack knowledge. They're mute dogs. They cannot bark. Now, that's kind of significant. (laughs) Because the watchman's job is to bark. Right? How many have a dog that when anybody comes around, they bark? And as much as it drives you nuts, you love it because you know when somebody's coming. Right? That's the watchman's job. My cat would lick them and just want them to feed him treats. He would open the door for them, actually, if they'd feed them treats. But here we are, and he talks about the watchmen, They're asleep, and they get drunk on the world, and they're thinking to themselves, hey, come, each one cries, let's get wine, let's get drunk on our fill of beer, and tomorrow we'll be like the same, we'll do more of that same thing. And you know, every once in a while, I think sometimes the people, even the people of God, like in this story, are so drunk on the things of the world, they're missing what their job description is. They're missing what they're supposed to be doing. And it's in that moment that the citadel is taken. See, you know, you've heard this quote before, but I think it's a good one. There are three types of people in the world, those who make things happen, those who watch things happen, and those who wonder what happened. Make sure you're the first one. To make things happen. You know, the second way that you can fall asleep And this tends to be the one that gets me, and this is where I have to be careful. The second way that I sleep, uh, where where I'm in danger of sleeping in, is I'm overwhelmed by what's coming, and I fail to look up and rejoice in the solution. See, this is the one that the disciples felt, you know, the cares of this world. You know, I was thinking about that. Um, How many of you know the disciples at Gethsemane? It's very interesting when you study it, and I think it's the book of Luke. It actually says they were overwhelmed with sorrow and they couldn't stay awake. Why were they sorrowful? Jesus was like, I'm not coming. This is why. Guys, I'm not coming to establish my kingdom right now the way you think I am. I'm actually going to be turned over to sinners and I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to die but it's okay, it's you know, all in the Father's plan. And then my kingdom's gonna come in a different way that you guys can't perceive yet because I'm actually gonna come and live in your hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit and I'm gonna bring my kingdom into this world through your lives and, it, and it's gonna be amazing and it's gonna be awesome, but you can't see it right now because all you can think about is, oh my God, Jesus is not gonna be here. And, and that tends to be me. I, I sometimes, I look at the world, guys, and I see things so clearly. And I know you're the same as me, many of you. And I'm like, this is hell. We are heading headlong, plunging over a cliff into destruction. You know, I look at education in our province today, and I say, if we do not change this in 10 years, I would not want to be a youth pastor. Because how are you going to navigate what is coming? What is going to happen in families where parental rights are removed? Like, it's crazy. It's crazy. And so I see that stuff, do you follow me? I actually stay awake at night and I think about it and I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, do something, Lord. Now, the problem is I'm saying that from a place of desperation rather than a place of faith. And I need to turn it to a place of faith and say, God, you're in charge and you're on the throne and you're gonna see that this is gonna be okay. And I'm looking to the wrong thing. You understand, sometimes we can get caught up in the problem and not look to the solution hard enough or long enough. And, and I'll, I'll give you an evidence of that. You know what we do? We sit there and we study on Facebook our arguments as to why, the, you know, the election better go this way because this is going to happen if it doesn't go this way. And we go, blah, blah, blah. And we're feeding ourselves with that stuff continually when God is like, look to me as your champion and your salvation. So, you know, we, we read three hours of Facebook posts and then watch, you know, read our scripture for 42 seconds and wonder why we're anxious Just saying. Okay, okay. So here we are. See, sometimes, guys, here it is. I forget this. I forget this is not who I am. And this is not whose I am. How do I stay awake? (laughs) How do I stay awake in this culture? Here's the one thought. Here it is. Understand your calling, your identity. You are watchmen on the wall. (laughs) That's who you're called to be. See that, remember that text I told you about from Isaiah, that, that text that talked about the watchmen are asleep and they're drunk and they're, it's not good? You know what precedes that text? We're going to look at that right now. This is very important. This is Isaiah 56, and this will come up on your screen. This is what the watchmen are meant to be doing. He says, this is what the Lord says. Maintain justice. Do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand. My righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the one who does this, this person who holds this fast. That's what you're to do. You're to do what is right. You are to maintain justice. You are to represent the kingdom of God. And, and then it goes on, and we won't read it, but you can read it yourself later in Isaiah 56. And, and it goes on, and, and these people that are, it's called the, you know, the eunuchs that have, been, that have been cut off from their world. They're not going to have a heritage. They're saying, well, what about us? we're broken. There's no life left in us. And they're talking about the strangers and the foreigners. They're like, well, how can we get in on this? We're, we're doomed if we, if we can't get connected to God. Do you know how many people in this world, church, right now are lifeless without God? Do you know how many foreigners and strangers are cut off from the life of God? That's our world today. I... I how, you, you think that you're under stress and strain looking at our world? Think about people that do not have the hope of Christ. How do you function today without the light of Christ leading your way? But listen to what God says to these people, and this is not going to come up, but I'll just read it to you. He says, to them, I will give them written in my temple walls, a memorial that is better than the name of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that they will endure forever. And the foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The very next verses are the ones I read to you earlier that describe the watchman's who are not doing their job. They're falling asleep. They're not praying in this moment. The highest calling of the watchman is to intercede, is to pray and say, oh my God, rescue our world from destruction. We stand in the gap, Lord. We're, we're watching. You know, we're watching, Lord. And we're praying, God, because prayer is our only way of connection to the Father. That brings his kingdom to bear. See, the watchmen stand, listen to me, church, the watchmen stand, and it's not that we're preaching against things, we're actually preaching for something. The watchmen stand and declare the righteousness of God. The watchmen stand and declare the peace of God. The watchmen stand and declare the justice of God. The watchmen stand and declare the joy of God. The watchmen stand and declare this is God's plan for your life. God is for you and not against you. God loves you. God wants to rescue you. Come and trust in the Lord. Rest in God. Hang on to the hand of God. He's going to see every one of us through this. That's the voice of the watchmen. It's a voice of confidence and joy and peace and righteousness. It's a voice that says God is good. In a world right now that is saying God is bad, your job is to say, no, no, no. He is good. Look at my life. Look at my family. Look at my future. God is for me and not against me. You know, we had the Wednesday night prayer meeting and I'm just, I want to just say a couple things. One of them is, A, I'm thankful for everybody who's been coming to prayer. You know, we've had care groups that have said, we're not going to do care group tonight, we're going to go to prayer meeting. During that 10 days of fasting and prayer, thank you for that. We've had incredible prayer nights. Uh, Last Wednesday was the end of the 10 days of fasting and prayer. We're still doing prayer on Wednesday nights, but it was powerful. Guys, the presence of God was so strong on Wednesday. It was honestly like, I can't even tell you, it was like we stood in a circle and we were holding hands and we were praying. And I'm telling you, it was just like a threshold to heaven. That's what it felt like to me. It was like we could step right into heaven right now and we wouldn't miss a beat. That was awesome. I'm telling you, people got touched. You know, I'm I'm not going to pick on anybody, but, you know, I ran into somebody a few months ago. Her name's Rogel. (laughs) And I said, said, Rogel, you should come to prayer meeting. Do you know she hasn't missed one since that day? Why? You can ask her later. Put her on the spot. She loves being put on the spot. (laughs) You know, you don't have to do that. What I'm telling you is that she met God there in a, in a beautiful way. And, and we, I should have asked your permission for this, Rochelle. I don't, are you here? Oh, thank God. <laughs> She's like, she would be red-faced and angry with me, but she'd have to forgive me, so it's good. Church, we need to pray. We need to pray. And I know you can't all make it out to prayer meeting, but I know some of you are praying at home. Some of you are praying in your care groups. Some of you are praying as you drive your car. All of it matters. The point is we're looking up. We're not looking out at what we see and feeling the devastation, but looking up. You know, the Bible says the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous church, a righteous man, a righteous woman, makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working, and that's what we're going to do today. You can't come to prayer meeting so I'm bringing prayer meeting to you so we're gonna close the last 10 minutes of this service in prayer and you're gonna break into groups of like five and you're gonna make a mess of all these chairs and you're gonna spin them around you're gonna just it's just gonna get noisy in here for a minute and I want you to break into groups of five just hang on for one second and here's what you're gonna be praying about you're gonna pray hold up your Easter card You're gonna pray for who you're gonna invite, and you might not even know yet, but you're gonna say, God, touch this card and, and let me put it into somebody's hand that I can invite to Easter. Because I'm telling you, there's a world that's cut off that needs to come home to God, amen? So you're gonna pray for that, and I don't even care if you're, you, know, you have to sneakily go into Tim Hortons and leave it on one of the tables. But you're going to pray, and you're going you're to just leave that somewhere. Give it to somebody. Talk to a neighbor. Invite them. Just say, hey, come to our church. Come to our church next Sunday. I'm telling you, God's presence will be here to meet them. It doesn't even really matter what I preach on, though I will do my best to preach well. But God will be here. Amen? Amen? So you're going to pray for that. And then you're going to pray for your loved ones who need to find their way home. Maybe, they, maybe you can invite them, but you can pray for them because God can send Christians to them and, and impact them. You follow what I'm saying? You're going to pray for that. And then you're going to pray for the election. Now, follow me very carefully on this next statement. Do not pray for specific parties as much as you would want to pray for specific parties to be crushed and defeated and others to be exalted and lifted up. You are going to pray for God's... Can I give you a little uh, unbelievable reality and check? In this auditorium right now, there are people that are voting for all four candidates. In this auditorium. I know because I go on your Facebook post, and I'm like, are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) Then I pray for you. (laughs) We all have strong opinions. What I'm trying to tell you is to pray. Here's my prayer request. Fear is trying to drive this election. And fear is not the spirit of God. You've been given a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Not a spirit of fear. So I want you to bind and tear down that spirit of fear and just pray for the soundness of mind to hit people. Okay? I want to pray for peace and unity because... I'm going to tell you, this nation's calling card from God is that Canada is a nation of peace, unity, truth. And then you're going to also pray that everybody votes.